Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are doing an Obi-Wan Kenobi Q&A. So questions from all of our listeners about the season of Obi-Wan Kenobi now that we have had the finale last week was up at a normal hour today. Um, <laughs> it's actually Wednesday when we're recording this, and there was no Obi-Wan Kenobi today, which was quite sad. Uh, it's Thursday, but sure. It's Thursday? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's Thursday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, well, there was no Obi-Wan Kenobi yesterday, and I was up at a normal hour yesterday and today, <laughs> but clearly I have not fully regained my mental capacity from getting up at 2.30 last week <laughs> for the Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi finale. That finale was so good. And thank you so much for listening to our discussion about the finale. I think we had a really fun time discussing the show on the show. So <laughs> thank you for listening. And I think it was probably our most listened television series that we've ever done. So we really appreciate you. And of course, if you're brand new here to Sky Talkers, we're so happy that you're here and that you're listening. So welcome. And I am so sad that Obi-Wan Kenobi is over. So why don't we get into the questions? Because I think that provides a good segue to the fact that number one, we got a ton of questions. Number two, we can't get to every questions. Um, we can't get to every question. And number three, sometimes we had some duplicate or similar questions. So we'll try to combine those and answer what we can. And the number one question that we got almost overwhelmingly was about the potential for a season two. So let's just start there. Let's start with Anthony's question. My question for you would be one I imagine others will ask you as well. That being, if slash when there is a season two, where do you want the story to take place next? And which established character would you like to see explored more? Yes, Anthony, you are correct. We did get this question, like Charlotte said, a couple of times. And I think this has been everyone's question is Obi-Wan Kenobi was so good. So is there a second season? Does there need to be a second season? Should we want a second season? Do I want a second season? And I'm not sure where I fall. I think I'm so satisfied with where this series ended as it leaves Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship that I have a hard time kind of thinking about how they continue to keep the tension of these two characters, whether bringing them together or pulling them apart, like... I don't know. I have a hard time imagining what that story looks like and a way to keep it as meaningful as this season was with Obi-Wan and Anakin's uh, confrontation. And if there is a second season that's focused on Obi-Wan and it doesn't involve Vader, Anakin, is that... Can it possibly live up to a, a meetup between Anakin and Obi-Wan after all those years? I don't know. I like in my head, I can't, like I said, I can't picture it. But I think that I think there's a lot of possibility for Obi-Wan now that he has this renewed sense of self. I talked a lot throughout the season about how I had kind of hoped that at the end of the season that Obi-Wan maybe had found some way to help facilitate the path from Tatooine. And so I think that could be a potential storyline for him. I don't know if it holds the same kind of 
gravitas, like I said, as the the Vader and Obi Wan meetup. It's it's a different kind of story. Um, it's more about the rebellion, I guess, rather than Obi Wan and Anakin's relationship, which is also a really interesting story to pursue. But I'm not really sure if if I think we need a second season of Obi Wan Kenobi right now or in the next five years. I don't know where I fall either. Honestly, I lean towards, yeah, I think there should be a second season just because I had so much fun with this one. And I was sort of incredulous over how they were even going to do it. And I'm also very satisfied with the rematch of the century Mm -hmm. and everything. Because I think that I was one of those people who was, I've talked about this on the show, pretty nervous about that statement. And I really liked what they did with it in the show. And I think because we led to that epic showdown, it's sort of hard to imagine how they could duplicate something so epic at the end of another season two. But I'm not so sure they need to. And I'm not so sure that they need to like spend time bringing those two characters together. Of course, I'm not the writer, so I don't know. But I don't know. I think it's possible. And I don't want to turn it down at all because I think that, first off, Star Wars has done a really good job telling Vader stories in comics, like a really good job. So I can t- I can totally see a world where we follow Obi-Wan on his continued path to regaining what it means to be a Jedi. Like things aren't over for him. And I think the show actually kept a lot of things open, especially with the Qui-Gon of it all. There's a lot there that they could explore with the Force, the Cosmic Force, and things like that, that Clone Wars kind of touched a little bit with Yoda and the Yoda arc in the Lost Missions, that I just think that you could do something similar with Obi-Wan. I just never want to say no to something like this because I think Ewan McGregor did a great job. I think Hayden Christensen did a great job. I think the new characters are super intriguing. I think that there's sometimes Star Wars writes themselves into a little bit of a corner when they title their shows after characters because I think that they could explore a time period more so than just a character or I think they just write themselves into a corner, a box, whatever you want to say. I think that it's fine with a show like Obi-Wan Kenobi that was billed as a limited series, six episodes uh, focused on Obi-Wan, but I I don't know. I just, I don't want to, I'm not ready to say goodbye to Ewan McGregor. And I don't know if Ewan McGregor is ready to say goodbye to Obi-Wan Kenobi (laughs) either. And I don't want to let that go, you know? And I I don't see why we have to be like such purists to be like, yeah, that's it. That can only be it. When I think there's so many stories that can be told and I just want to remain open to that possibility, even though I don't need it. Like I said, I really don't need it. Just like you, you you agree with that, I think. But if they announced tomorrow that they were coming back for season two, would I be so excited? Yes, I would be. <laughs> and I think because I think that there was there's so many different things that they could do. And I would love it if Deborah Chow came back. I think that would be a real contingent for me is I wouldn't want them to switch directors or if they switch directors, I would still want Deborah Chow to be involved somehow. Specifically, I am thinking about how the show Loki on Disney Plus switched writers and directors, I believe. I'm, again, not a Marvel expert, so I don't know. And that was pretty disappointing to me because I really liked the look and feel of that series. And I felt like the writers and directors did a really good job with that. And I didn't want them to change it. So I think that I'd have weird opinions about it if they switched the creators behind it. But 
beyond that, yeah, I just I want to remain open to it. And I think that I honestly just think there's a lot that they could explore that and things that would give us new meaning to how we view Obi-Wan as a character. Yeah, I think it's a hard question because like I don't think it's I think you had said the word like purist about where we left the show as far as I think you were kind of alluding to how it ties into A New Hope. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I think that this is the interesting thing about Star Wars that we're kind of always talking about is the way that it fills in its timeline, which, as you also said, can sometimes mean it writes itself into a hole or into a corner sometimes, especially when we're talking about these uh, series that are all named after characters rather than time periods. Because while I agree with everything you say, I don't want like a seer another another season of Obi-Wan Kenobi in the next three to five years and then we're closing in more of this timeline so that 15 years from now someone else can't come along and kind of do this whole new take on this time period with Obi-Wan Kenobi because we've filled in you know even more of his timeline so soon but like I would want Deborah Chow to do more of it because I think her work was so incredible, but, and, and obviously Ewan and Hayden. And I think it would be really cool if like, say if, if Obi-Wan was doing something with the path, for example, if, if Vader and Ewan or or Obi-Wan are kind of on these parallel storylines, but they're both pushing them in different directions, like further into the light, further into the dark or, or something with the cosmic force with Qui-Gon, but they're not even actively pursuing each other at this point because Vader can't with Palpatine and Obi-Wan has figured out like a new purpose that he's kind of pushing towards now. It's not just about his his guilt over Anakin any longer. It's something bigger than that, even bigger perhaps than Luke and Leia. I don't know. I think that could be really interesting because, yeah, Ewan and Hayden press tour has just been <laughs> so incredible. And if I could have more of that, a hundred percent. I want that. Uh, also, potential for more flashbacks and more kind of exploration of their relationship uh, in the prequel era. So I don't know. I think that's a really hard question, especially with yeah. Obi-Wan, perhaps even more so than any of the other uh, series that we've seen so far with Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett and, and Andor coming up. Like, I think this series is kind of the biggest question mark on Will it help or is it too much of a risk? <laughs> I don't even know if risk is the right word for it. But yeah, I think thinking about we have like 10 years left in this chunk of Obi-Wan's life, in Obi-Wan's life in general, uh, if I'm going to you know, bring the mood down a little bit. <laughs> and I don't know, like, is it better to kind of start continuing down this path with him in this time period right now with Ewan McGregor or is that limiting in a sense for the future of his story I don't know I don't know I really yeah I really don't have a solid opinion on it right now I think we only know what we know and right now we're used to the Ewan and Hayden press tour we have such good feelings about that we just watched a show that really spent a lot of time weaving that relationship and reminding us of how that felt in the prequels and solidifying some feelings in the prequels. And I I think that there's a lot more stories to tell with Obi-Wan. Specifically, I know everyone references the, that Kenobi novel that is more um, of Obi-Wan's time. It's not canon, it's legends. It was, it's Obi-Wan's time in the desert. And I think that that is a little um, more melancholy, a little slower. I don't think people would be against having a more um, 
Logan-esque type story here with Ewan McGregor with Obi-Wan at this time period. I don't know if that would actually uh, box anyone in in terms of a story. Like I don't – I think that when you were talking, I was thinking about how when we started with a show like The Mandalorian, no one really knew how successful it was going to be. And I think that John and Dave thought of a bigger story – that they're now approaching now and rounding out with all these other series, right? But it's easy to forget about how it really started as a show about, you know, one man and his bounty hunter journey. And we didn't really, that felt sort of like nebulous in this time period. We hadn't exactly ex- explored that much. And I I feel like we have reached a point where now we think about how big that machine of the Mandalorian is when I don't think we need to think about Obi-Wan Kenobi ever in that same way. I don't think we need to think about how Obi-Wan gets involved in the rebellion or any of that. Like, I actually don't think that needs to be a story we need, we should explore. I think that we should probably continue Reva's story in other avenues, but I don't know if it needs to be in this show, if it needs to be in a season two. I think we can keep things pretty character focused and lead on theme like we've been talking about. And that doesn't have to be a big bombastic show that spans all these different years and blocks out all these different time periods and is a whole chunk of things like the Mandalorian is. And I I think that sometimes when we think about now, now that's like our blueprint, right? And our blueprint in our head about what this show is, is all wrapped up in the marketing and everything like that. So we just want to take a step back and be like, no, season two can be something completely different. It could be more anthology-esque where it's really focusing on Obi-Wan, the character. Maybe we get some Vader. Um, maybe we don't. Uh, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of different directions that we can go in. And like I said, like we only know what we know and we don't know what we don't know. And I, there definitely is a lot of different stories that they've explored with Obi-Wan on the table and they went with this one. You know, yeah. I think that we, for years and years and years, there was all this top, like I think it recently came out that this show, this show was pitched as a movie. Obviously, we know that. And then it was pitched as a trilogy. And I don't know, where does this story fit into the concept of the trilogy? Like, are we just seeing part one of a trilogy or did we watch the entire thing as a trilogy? I don't know. Mm. And what other stories are there to be explored? Because I don't know, there's just a lot of different possibilities. And I just don't ever want to say no to something like that. No, I don't either. What I do think would be interesting moving forward, like you talking about John and Dave and kind of the Mando verse and everything going on there is if with this time period, if they could almost like refine how these stories intersect with each other, like the Kenobi verse, I guess, or this period in between Revenge of the Sith and and A New Hope, because there was something a lot of us talked about on the book of Boba Fett um, with like the two episodes all about the Mandalorian and Grogu and how that was, those were great episodes and a great story to see, but was this the right place to tell it? What is this bigger picture that they're kind of pointing to? How did the marketing miss uh, misstep in some places as far as what audiences were expecting or not expecting. Like, right, there was a lot of conversation about that that we had on the show and people had online about the sh- about the series and everything. So I think it would be interesting if that could be refined uh, in this time period of, you know, it's a season two or a whole new series that's focused on the path or Reva or something like that. But Obi-Wan is still, like, around. Like, he can still... 
they need sub headlines or yeah. new headlines yeah. for certain things like this it because up. it is confusing. It's confusing. Yeah. And I don't I think that obviously with Obi-Wan and this show it was separate. It's a limited series. It doesn't yeah. have to be connected to anything. But if they were going to go that route, there's something that they could do to label it or like put it in between. I don't know. Yeah. I think that I hope that it becomes I, I think what if I were to put myself in, you know, the the top Lucasfilm exec room with like Kathy and John and Dave and and story group and and all of that, that they want these characters to feel fluid to the point where it doesn't feel like a cameo every time that one character shows up in another thing in a way that it almost doesn't have to be this huge event every time it happens in the way that but like I don't know on the on the flip side of that I do think they kind of play into that a lot but I think I think maybe down the line they would want it to be more yeah like more fluid like it wouldn't it would make total sense to see Obi-Wan talk to Reva again in another couple of episodes or or thing or or something like that mm-hmm. and he and and you know if they run into Andor down the line to have Obi-Wan and Cassian talk about something or do a mission together. I, I don't know, something like that. But for it to feel more fluid and like a character like Obi-Wan doesn't have to take over Cassian's story or series or moment of time in a way that I think a lot of people felt like the Mandalorian did in the book of Boba Fett. Yeah, I just don't really know what the answer is. I don't either. <laughs> it's not my job to know what the answer is either. And I don't. I I always want Star Wars to be like less confusing in that regard and I don't know how to go about it. I just think Star Wars is confusing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of baked into the entire fandom, I guess, in terms of just the timelines of it all, but yeah. Anyway, I think we're t- spending a lot of time on this question and I I'm sure it's going to continue to come up. So, season 2 I don't know. <laughs> yes? No? Maybe. Still not sure. Some <laughs> can... Other version of a season two, perhaps. Yeah, I'm. I'm into it. I would if they again if they announced it tomorrow, I'd be over the moon. So excited! Yeah. And I actually think I need it. Honestly, I need little Leia back too. Right. So there's a lot of characters that I just don't really want to say goodbye to, and I just felt like the show did super well. So yeah, I want them to continue it. Not sure how they would do it, but let's go for it. Right. Okay. So our next question is from Allie who asks, how did Qui-Gon show up as a force ghost? It was established in the Clone Wars that he could only project his voice. So it was interesting and still exciting to see Liam Neeson. Was there some piece of Star Wars media I missed that established his ability to be a force ghost? I don't think you missed anything, Allie. I think this is Star Wars's way of wink wink nod nod that this will be how obi-wan learns from qui-gon to transform into a force ghost because we're missing that piece yes absolutely and i think that we need to have obi-wan explore how to do that and he the only way that he could get there is by like accepting qui-gon back in i guess yeah i i did think it was super interesting that there was no talk about that because i felt like there could be and there wasn't because it does feel like there's a surprise. I mean, it's not there feels like it. It is. It's a surprise to Darth Vader when Obi-Wan disappears, right? So how did I it felt like that maybe in the show they were gonna answer that. And again, that would be a great thing to explore in season two. I think people would really love a weird force episode. 
or more than one episode. It would be so awesome. An entire arc that takes place in the cosmic force again. I mean, come on, let's do it. Right? Let's do it. I'm 100% (laughs) here for it. I'm glad they didn't say anything about it, honestly. I think this was the moment to have Force Ghost Qui-Gon, I think. We've heard his voice a number of times in the Clone Wars, and this was just, this is it. I'm really glad that they made him a Force Ghost and that they didn't explain it or talk about it. Yeah, Yeah, it was just like... Let's go. We've got a long way to go. Oh, I love it. I do too. I know that some people are probably thinking about the story that's in a certain point of view that is between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, and it's a really good short story. That's a great book, by the way. But those stories aren't technically canon. I know it's so debated and to the point where it's like kind of annoying, but there's nothing really established there and that um, at least to my memory that would negate what we saw in the show or would like add a stepping stone to what we saw in the show. Yeah. I just think there's a lot to explore. And Caitlin's totally right that that was the best way that they could introduce Qui-Gon. I'm not over the fact that it was so jokey and it was so, but so genuine. It was just perfect. It was great. I wonder, I, I wonder if they were on set together. I kind of don't think so, but I, it would be great if they were. Yeah, we got to find that out. Maybe yeah. in the gallery episode. When? Question mark. Exclamation when, point. <laughs> when? When? <laughs> okay, so our next question is from Rachel, who asks, who gives Leia her first blaster? Or do you think she just picks one up and starts shooting? I really hope it's Brea who gives it to Same. her. Like, I wonder if, you know, there's that that trope of – um little girls going into their parent, their mom's makeup cabinet and, you know, trying on all of her makeup and her clothes and shoes and stuff like that. And I think that's totally cute. And I would love to see Leia do the same thing. Um, I'm Brea has great outfits. <laughs> the pantsuits. <laughs> they're so good in the cave situation. The cave oh, my God. So good. I think it would be a cute kind of version of that trope for uh, Leia to get it from her mother. I think they would both obviously encourage it, Bale and Brea, honestly, if she wanted to learn. But I think it would be cool to see it come from her mother. And I think they did a great job in the show of building that relationship between Leia and both of her parents and to kind of see this other shade of her mother when we do have a lot of uh, content, for lack of a better word, with Bale, I think would be really great. Love that. It actually makes me want to pick up Leia, Princess of Alderaan again. This entire book makes Sad. me want to do that. Just because I, I wonder if it's ever mentioned because it feels like something that could pot- potentially be mentioned. It does because there's the whole – I mean the whole spo- – slight spoilers, but there's the whole premise of the – I don't know, remember what it's called. It's been so long since I've read that book, but like the quest, right? Like Leia right. has to – Get to the top of the mountain and her mom did it before her. So I imagine her mom has some kind of skills like that. Exactly. I just, it feels like it could potentially be a throwaway line that now is not very throwaway. But I also think that someone would have caught that. We would have seen that on the internet if so. But I really want to reread that. Such a good book. Yeah. Okay. So Rachel's next question is, in the last episode, Reva's lightsaber beam is not as strong as it was before she got stabbed. It seems to flicker slightly. Did I make this up? Did you notice this too? I did not notice this. I don't know about you. No, I didn't either. It's a really good thought though. And my my um, if so, love that. We love a flickering lightsaber. <laughs> and my thought is, doesn't Vader split the saber in half when they're fighting yeah. on Jabim? 
So I would think that it destabilizes the crystal in some way, but also is reflective of her own destabilization. So you can make a lot of arguments there if it's Meta. if it does actually flicker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally here for it flickering. Me too, me too. Because I think we've talked about this before. I'll say it again. Riva has a lot of characteristics as a dark sider that we wanted to see in Ben Solo. And that's what Ben was. He had this this shaky lightsaber beam that sort of symbolized his un- unease and unsteadiness and lack of complete devotion to the dark side. It's the same thing with Riva. So I need to go back and rewatch it. I feel like this show is going to be one that I rewatch a lot because it's very easy to rewatch. You know what I mean? It's yeah. It feels um, six episodes is so easy for like a night to just fully binge. It's like three and a half hours or something. It's just a long movie. It's great. Perfect. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And I really want to do Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, A New Hope, like all in order. I think that would be a really fun marathon. Yeah, that would be. I know when uh, before The Rise of Skywalker came out, one of the things I wanted the most was for Rey to have the flickering lightsaber, uh, like the flickering blue or light side lightsaber to kind of represent that balance or that imbalance or the fact that like darkness is in all of us and it's a choice that you make. Uh, So I think I think it'd be cool if that concept came to Riva in the future. Totally. All right, next we have a couple of really fun multiple choice questions from Aubrey, <laughs> who asks, which Inquisitor would you choose to take on a road trip and why? A, the Grand Inquisitor, B, Third Sister, C, Fifth Brother, or D, Tentacle Lady? I love Tentacle Lady, just as that as an answer. Um, I'm going to choose Reva, um, Third Sister, B. What about you? I think I'm going to go with the Grand Inquisitor. <laughs> Just to make fun of his zingers. <laughs> and just every time he says something zingy, I'm just going to repeat it over and over and over again. <laughs> okay. So the reason I'm choosing Reva is, you know what's so annoying in a road trip what? is when <laughs> you are hungry and you want to stop and you just can't make a decision. So then the the signs just keep passing you by when you're on the road trip and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to stop at McDonald's. I don't know if I want to stop at Wendy's, you know, the whole deal. But Reva is so impulsive and she doesn't hesitate. So I think that she would tell me when she wanted to stop, what she wanted to go to. <laughs> and I think that she'd just be like, no, we're going to listen to this. This is what we're going to do. And I think that she'd be a good road tripper, you know? Yeah. (laughs) If she doesn't kill me. (laughs) I mean, if any of them don't kill you. (laughs) True. All right. The next uh, part of the road trip is which droid would you choose to take on the road trip? Lola, Ned B, AP5, or L3? I find this one really difficult. I don't know about you. Yeah, me too. I kind of think AP5, again, because of the combo of AP5 and the Grand Inquisitor and myself. (laughs) I find really fun. I feel like there's a lot of potential there. <laughs> <laughs> so as much as I love Lola and Ned B and AP5, I think I'm going to choose L3 just because she's a she's a pilot. She's a captain. Yeah. And I think that she would be – she's an amazing navigator. There's no one like her. I feel like we cut down on like hours of time by yeah. having her as my – I don't know, on the road trip. Yeah. I knew you'd pick L3. I knew yeah. without a question you'd pick her. <laughs> But well, I actually actually think L three and Reva would get along. Honestly, I feel like so they've true. become like besties. I totally agree. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. Ugh, love them. <laughs> All right, and then the last part of the road trip question is: Which couple would you choose to take on the road trip? So we have a pre Phantom Menace Obi Wan and Satine, 
B, Clone Wars, Obi-Wan, and Asajj Ventress, or C, Kenobi Show, Obi-Wan, and Tala? I think I'm going to choose pre-Phantom Menace, Obi-Wan, and Satine, just because we've never seen that before, and I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> it's either going to be, I don't know, that could go a lot of ways. It could just be so sickeningly sweet <laughs> of them, like, full puppy eyes the entire time. <laughs> Again, it would be crazy but to angsty. watch. <laughs> yeah. At the same time. <laughs> just be surprising. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this one for me is easy. I'm going Obi-Wan and Asajj Ventress. Uh, again, the whole combo, Obi-Wan, Asajj Ventress, AP5, the Grand Inquisitor, and myself. Oh, my God. What's not to love? I will live tweet the entire thing for you guys. <laughs> it just seems like a lot of quips. <laughs> it does. It's so quippy. It's going to be so fun. <laughs> so quippy. Like Asajj Ventress and the Grand Inquisitor. Now that's a matchup I want to see. A yeah. verbal matchup I want to see. Totally. Okay. So our next question is from Joey who asks, what do you think Reva will do now that she's free of her quest for vengeance? Would you like to see her join the path and try to make amends for her time as an Inquisitor? <sighs> This is so interesting because this is, in a lot of ways, this is super uncharted territory for us, for a Darksider uh, to still be alive. I mean, we've seen, we've speaking of Asajj Ventress, we've seen her go through a similar kind of character journey. Callus, too. Um, Callus is a little bit different, like him working in the Empire, uh, still being able to kind of function within the Empire for a while, like Tala did. Reva's obviously not going to be able to do that. And I kind of wonder if she'll immediately want to go to the path or be welcomed by the path. I'm sure a lot of people probably don't believe her. I think it'd be interesting for her to strike out on her own for a while. And I don't know, kind of, we talked about potentially Obi-Wan being like the Robin Hood of the series for a little bit of doing like good deeds for other people in secret. Um, but I think it would be cool to see Reva kind of take that on and maybe eventually one day become a part of the path or of the growing rebellion. It'd be interesting to see her one time uh, or eventually connect with with Bale and, and Fulcrum and the rebellion and everything. It's interesting to think about Reva because I do think that the story is fantasy, right? And Obi-Wan telling her that she's free. She is free, but she does have a long journey ahead of her, I think. I can't right now see her fully joining up with the rebellion or the path. I think that there's some things that have to happen for herself, like personally between that. So I'd like to see that. I don't know what that is, but I just don't really see her the day after seeing Obi-Wan being like, no, I'm going to join the path. Like, I think that she has a lot to work out herself. And what does it mean for her to be without an organization, I think is something that needs to be explored before she jumps into another organization, albeit small. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, I think that there's just a lot to be seen there. I think her character journey was so interesting. And I actually would like to take the time right now to discuss how uh, one of the writers talked about how they were going to kill her off. And I said that I was going to talk about it or like we would eventually talk about it on the show last time um, because it was rumored. It recently came out like a couple days ago that one of the writers um, whose last name is Beatty also said that third sister, when they were writing Reva, that he felt like, quote, she had to die. Here's a quote. 
yeah, killed by Vader at the end of it. Yeah, I wanted this story. I wanted her story to end. I wanted Reva to play her part in the Kenobi Vader story, which was essentially at the end, she was one of the she was the one that allowed Vader basically told Vader to stop hunting Kenobi. You know, she ended the obsession Vader had with Kenobi. She claimed it was over. It's done. So that was that was her role to play. And she'd done so many terrible things. I felt like she had to die. Laughs. You can only redeem so much. End quote. Um, I hate that. <laughs> really? <laughs> I just like, I have to say it outright. I actually cannot stand that. And um, it's, cra- it's actually crazy to me to see it written out like that from a writer on the show who says, this is what we're going to do. And it just, all of that was the wrong answer. And I'm really glad that they shifted gears and did something completely different because that's what Star Wars is. It, what we saw in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show at the end of this with Reva's character, it felt like a major breath of fresh fresh air that Reva's character wasn't only to um, play a part in two men's stories, but also she had her own narrative and redemption arc and interesting story to play um, and her own trauma, right, that she could overcome. It felt like the absolute right thing to do. And it also personally for me feels absolutely correct that Palpatine would be the one that is holding Vader's leash to pull him away from Obi-Wan. Um, yeah. I, I actually don't think that's being talked about enough personally in this in this conversation about Reva, uh, her story before being like dying and then her not dying. Um, I think that the, it, they made the absolute right choice. And um, I also don't like the that that you can only redeem so much type of comment it's just so incorrect in my perception of star wars and like what george lucas has talked about in the past and just especially when we're talking about darth vader it's so crazy to me that someone would say that publicly who worked on star wars <laughs> right like you you just can't say it about reva and be like yeah but ultimately vader is redeemed yeah it's just so but, crazy you know, i'm just like <laughs> Right. Anyway, I just think that it, when you have an ending like this, it opens it up for amazing stories. I think, think, I think about, and I talked about this on the show too. Like, I think about Riva and how I think about her as a similar character to Ahsoka, and how everyone would always talk about how Ahsoka had to die at the end of the Clone Wars, but she didn't. And now we have so many stories with her, and her story goes on forever. And it's like, that's how it should be. That's how these characters should be. It doesn't just because you don't have to write yourself into a corner. I feel like that's the third time we've said this on the show. But when you kill a character off just because they do bad things and have no moment of reflection, that's not interesting to me. <laughs> and don't you want interesting characters? So now when you create a character like Reva, it's way more interesting. It makes for a much better story. And I'm so glad they made this choice. And Clearly, Moses Ingram was happy about it, too, and I'm just really happy about that. So I do think that there's a lot more that they could do with their character, whether that's in season two or whether that's in Andor, whether that's someplace else. I don't know, but um, I actually can't believe that that became public, that they were going to kill her off. And they were, he was very confident when he said that. Right? The, uh, yeah. the audacity. The audacity. <laughs> Sometimes it's just so surprising to me that I feel like we hear this from writers a lot, not just of Star Wars, but about like killing off characters who do bad things. And it's like, by and large, I feel like the villains are always the most popular characters of of stories you know the the people who have 
questions about their ethics and their moral compass and things like that. Like you said, that's the interesting story. Someone who is never tempted, always does good, is never bad, never does the wrong thing. It's just that's endearing to a certain point, but then it just gets old and um, it's not interesting. But yeah, it's just, it's so, honestly, it's so surprising too, given kind of the aftermath of the rise of Skywalker and how upsetting it was that people, for people to see Ben Solo die, to be like, yes, good, let's, let's kill Reva off. That but makes also, sense. Also, like, did that reaction inform this choice to not kill her off? Maybe. I mean, I kind of hope so, just because I think that they made the absolute right choice. And the more good choices they can make towards decisions like this, I think the more it reinforces Vader's own redemption at the end of Return of the Jedi. Just that line of what he said of you can only be redeemed after so much, right, that we've kind of already touched on. It just feels so – you already said this, and I just have to say it myself too, but the antithesis to what Star Wars is, and and you and I are always talking about, like, we said this for Reva, redemption is always on the table for a character. It's if they're walking towards it or not. And a lot of characters choose not to, but it's always there as a possibility. And some you see it more clearly than others. Like, if we're talking about a character like Palpatine versus a character like Reva, right? Like, potentially redemption redemption is on the table for Palpatine, but he's never going to walk in that direction. That It's so clear that that's how his character is written. But then to just like kill that character off just would have been such a huge misstep. And I never want to assume that I know better than writers in or a Star Wars story because I don't. And I can't imagine the many plot threads and storylines and considerations that they're going through when when actually sitting down to write out a story like this. But man, he did have a lot of confidence putting that out there in the universe. And I am a little surprised that they kind of ever announced it or yeah. said it in that manner, I guess I should say. Right. Um, I, I guess I wouldn't have been surprised for them to be like, you know, at one point we did actually have this kind of different characterization of Reva and she did end up dying in the end. But you know, once we met Moses and we work through these scenes with her, it became so clear, yada, yada, yada. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of like, no, that was the choice and it was going to be good for her to serve these other two men's stories and die. Just surprising. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, gosh. Okay. Joey's other question is, do you think we'll see Vivian Lyra Blair Jimmy Smith and Simone's Kessel as the Organas in a future Star Wars story, possibly a series set on Alderaan. I really hope so. Same. Anything, honestly, with with Vivian, please. I think we'll see Bale again in Andor, actually, just given the fact that Mon Mothma is in it. And I think that we know that they've been very forthcoming about some of the major plot points in Andor, which I think is really interesting and something we'll definitely be talking about in the future. But just knowing that Mon Mothma has a full episode that is focused on her building the rebellion and like a Senate subplot, it feels like we're going to see Bale at some point, right? Just based off of yeah. the the deleted scenes in Revenge of the Sith, what we know about her and things like that. It, it just feels right. 
And also he was in Rogue One. This is a Rogue One prequel. So it makes sense to me. I don't know. And now I'm like, okay, we could possibly see Leia like peeking around the corner or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, would love that. Yeah, it makes total sense to me. And now they've already designed Alderaan in the volume. So it's already done. Yeah. Let's bring it back. (laughs) Just load up the file. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, our next question is from Anna, who asks, having seen a little bit of Luke and Leia's formative years, what new perspective has that given you for these well-established characters? They go on to write, just as an example, I thought about how there were so many people protecting Luke his entire life, some of whom he wasn't even aware of, like Bale, and he grows to be someone who embraces the at-peace, passive nature of the light side of the Force, embracing the Jedi ideal of defending life. Leia, on the other hand, sees more of the reality of the galaxy and the Empire and becomes a very active fighter, someone who is quicker to go on the offensive and be in the middle of things. For me, I think that one of the greatest revelations about Luke's upbringing is just how loved he was in his home. And I think that when you see uh, when you see Beru and Owen burned skeletons um, outside of the home, the homestead, uh, you know that they fought really hard. Um, and I think that it makes a really big difference in my brain to know that Luke was from a really loving home and was raised in a way that is purely different than, than Leia, but, uh, had, I don't know. I think that sometimes you can watch a new hope and it, because it's again, like a fairy tale fantasy, it's, very much like this hidden prince who wants to leave his boring upbringing and you very much are like anti him staying on Tatooine and very much want him to follow the crazy old wizard, right? And I think that there's a sense of when you watch Obi-Wan Kenobi, you realize that this is exactly where he was supposed to be, that this is his childhood and he needed this calm environment to become just just as you said, Anna, at peace, a pa- like passive in the nature of the light side of the forest. And I think that you can tell that the sense of order and things like that that he gets from living on the farm um, aren't all negative. Like I think that that's what I took away from A New Hope. And maybe that's not everyone's perception, but I do think that that's what you're supposed to take away like at a very basic level in – a new hope is like, no, Luke's got to get out of there. It's time to go. And it is time to go. It's just, you don't have to have such negative feelings towards where he grew up. Like you now are aware, like, no, he was really loved and really protected and they would give up everything for him. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think you actually laid it out really well, Anna, in your um, your example, your, your description of Luke and Leigh and kind of how their childhoods have informed their futures. Uh, and how they kind of, how their older selves kind of shake out and how we can see the beginnings of that here uh, in these, in, in when they're nine, 10 years old. That's like such a crazy adventure for Leia to go on. And like you said, for her to see the reality of the Empire and the galaxy in a way that Luke never did. And I think this is part of kind of what we always talk about with Luke and Leia and like Luke's compassion for for Vader and how outstanding and wonderful it is. But Luke also did not have the experience that Leia had growing up where Vader became a very prominent figure politically and 
tortured her and she was aware. And, and now we have this whole adventure with Obi-Wan too, where she knows exactly what the Inquisitors are doing, has witnessed it, has been tortured by them herself. So um, to kind of see the perspectives on it, like Luke can have this very idealistic view of the galaxy in a lot of ways because he hasn't seen enough of it. And that that's like we've been talking about part of his story in a new hope is that call to action, call to action to leave. It is time for him to go. It is time for him to meet the galaxy in a way that Leia is already incredibly familiar with for better or for worse. Yeah, definitely. Um, we have a question actually. The next question is from Sabine who asks, would the portrayal of young Leia in the series has your perception of Leia's character as a whole changed? So it's really similar to this question, but I don't think we talked enough in that answer about Leia and actually a lot of things in my perception of Leia totally changed not totally changed but made me appreciate her more and I think that I like you were mentioning Caitlin fully understand her uh, lack of acceptance of Anakin's redemption and like her relationship I think I always kind of struggled with with the what happens after Return of the Jedi and how she struggles number one to accept that Luke has had this like incredible experience with Darth Vader turning back into Anakin Skywalker and she never had any of that experience at all her experience has been her parents fighting from like boots on the ground in a lot of ways of uh within like the senate halls and then also in the rebellion and luke never had that experience so you're right in what when you say like he had this idealistic version of who his father was and who his father could be well and even sorry to interrupt but even vader literally being her him and tarkin being the one to make right. a call on alderaan right in front of her like vader was there yeah and luke doesn't didn't really have any of that kind of experience. and Yeah, it was the Empire, these nameless stormtroopers with Owen and Beru. Right, and like who knows how many times Leia has had inter interactions with Vader. I do think that there's room in a – this is sort of a separate tangent, but I think there's room for Star Wars to explore what that mental block <laughs> of Vader not recognizing anything in Leia in terms of – her being blood relation to him. As Star Wars fans, we just kind of write it off. And I think there's actually a, something cool that can be done to explore that. I don't know what that is, but I think there's something that could deepen that because it's one of those things that just is confusing. I also think that the show made me uh, not really wince so much at the whole, Leia, do you remember your mother question? Um, and I really like that. I also think that it it made it deepened a lot of the ways that we think about the fact that Leia named her son Ben and what that means. Leia saying, Ben, that's not a Jedi name. I think that's a great line <laughs> because Ben Solo maybe never wanted to be a Jedi or he did and then he never became one or he did and that can be debated, right? I, I love stuff like that. I don't know. I think that just the development of Obi-Wan and Leia's relationship was like the ultimate choice that they could have made with this series that just makes so much sense to me and it's right under our nose and yet everything that we see regarding Leia in the next six movies is deepened based off of this show, which is so cool to me. Yeah, I think it's just incredible. I can't speak highly enough of it or Vivian. Yeah, totally. So she's so cute. I love her. <laughs> I think she really did a great job. Like I, 
like objectively, I think she did a great job. And she, she, she brought so much to the concept of like 10 year old Leia. She's exactly how I pictured her. And I think she's exactly how so many people pictured her and, but like so much more too. Um, And also a child and adorable. I don't know. It's so great. I love her. (laughs) And it makes me love the character of Leia even more. Yeah. Charlotte, I was um, up visiting Charlotte for her birthday weekend, the last weekend, and we were watching Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I was like, you know, it just you just know that Carrie would have loved her so much and you can see them on set together. Like I can totally see it. And I think it just it would have been so beautiful. And I think it just speaks to how well Vivian did in this role for such a young age. Like, oh, my gosh, to really capture that essence of Leia that is so intrinsically tied to Carrie Fisher herself. I wonder if Billy wrote her a note or anything like that. I actually wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to find out. Or even if she did go to set to see. Totally. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be interesting to find out. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure she did something. Yeah. Okay. So our next question is from Mithurian Jin who asks, it seemed to me like the Obi-Wan series may have been planting seeds for the upcoming Andor series. For example, Roken's This Is Just the Beginning Exit Line, Reva's excellent character arc with potential for future appearances, and they can't let that Quinlan Voss reference be the end of that. <laughs> what are your thoughts here? Do you think Obi-Wan was a setup for Andor, or do you think that Andor will mostly be focused on Cassian's arc leading up to Rogue One? I think Andor will be a mostly focused on Cassian's arc leading up to Rogue One because I actually think the show feels and looks really different from the other Star Wars shows that we've gotten. It feels really high production value. It feels really separate. It already feels like different in tone, especially based off of like what I said 10 minutes ago about how Tony Gilroy is like this episode, episode six or whatever, will be focused purely on Mon Mothma and then we'll like cycle back and then it's going to be a whole year. You know, he's, he was very specific (laughs) about the (laughs) timelines and everything in a way that we just don't normally get. However, I do think that there, these are all seeds that are planted who knows what tree it will grow into, but for sure. They can't let that Quinlan Voss reference be the end of it. It has to be. <laughs> I was purely expecting Quinlan to show up in some way in the show when they mentioned him. So was I. I was like, Quin- Quinlan, we referenced Quinlan Voss of all Jedi. It was our, great. <laughs> our, with, with Obi-Wan Kenobi, Asaz Ventress, the dark disciple of it all. My God. So Even good. the Dathomir of it all, thinking about Maul and Kira, like, there's a lot going on. <laughs> it worked. It worked. It could have worked, in, at least in some like reference. But yeah, I don't think that's the end of it. I think them really introducing the path as a concept is big, like really big. And I don't know where it goes from here, but it seems like something that they can't let lie, basically. I think that whatever season two does or doesn't look like for Obi-Wan Kenobi, I think that the next thing uh, from this time period will be focused on the path, I think. Like, I think we could even see that intersection in a bigger way with Andor and the rebellion and the path and kind of how it grew from there. Yeah, there's there's so many things that were introduced in this series that 
really lend themselves to bigger stories. Even Roken, I, such a great character. I would love to see him continue or be featured in Andor of, like, now he's doing the X, Y, and Z with, with Rebellion and specializes in Force-sensitive people. I don't know. I, I think it would be really cool. And I think that the bigger storyline that they're setting up here of not only the development of the Rebellion, but also this focus from the Empire on force sensitivity has been a really fun one to track through all of these shows. So I think we're going to be seeing more of it in Andor regardless. Yeah, I think in I think episode four of Obi-Wan Kenobi, we talked about how the, Je- the Jedi, the dead Jedi who were like frozen in what looked like amber, it mm-hmm. felt like they were leading to a bigger story. And I do think they're leading to a bigger story. They're, they have to They have to be. We referenced the Mandalorian. I think that it's all going to come back around. I don't know if it'll come back in Andor or something in the future, but it feels big and it feels like they're leading to something. And then when it's all going to click, we're all going to be like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think the question at this point is what series is going to be yeah. the big reveal, right? We've had inklings of it in Bad Batch. Bad Batch. We've had inklings of it in... Um, a little bit in Boba Fett, right? But mostly Mm -hmm. in The Mandalorian. And it hasn't been released yet. So slight spoilers for the trailer for season three that we saw at Celebration, but things were hinted at in there. I won't say any more, but it felt like we could be getting more of this kind of storyline in season three of The Mandalorian. So I don't know. And I think, yeah, I think it's all coming together for this really big kind of generational story that I wonder where they've kind of decided to put the aha moment where they kind of straight up have a storyline about it because I feel like all of it has kind of been very much like if we're talking about right cloning and um testing on force sensitive people and midi chlorians and like the whole the whole nine yards exactly yeah it's all kind of been these I don't want to say background pieces but it's like a character will mention it in an episode or like in the Mandalorian season one, we saw Grogu being tested on for a minute, but then it was over and he got rescued. You know, like we've never completely followed through, tracked with that storyline for an entire episode or an entire season or something like that. So I wonder if and when they're going to do that, but we're going to be able to put all of these pieces together through all of these different series. And it's, it's really cool and it's been it's been as people who do watch everything it's been really fun to see it coming together definitely okay so our next question is from skylar i just want to know your thoughts about hayden christensen's return being prequel fans and witnessing the criticisms the movies and actors received do you think that did you think there was ever be a possibility for hayden's return and also an appreciation for the prequels Ewan has talked a lot about how there was no social media at the time, so both him and Hayden believed the movies weren't liked and that there weren't many fans. Okay, so yeah, did Charlie give me your thoughts on Hayden Christensen? <laughs> um, I, as a staunch defender of the prequels, I always felt like this moment was coming, but. I still am someone who like does not believe that like Natalie Portman will ever come back. Anytime she talks about Star Wars, I'm like foaming at the mouth almost because it just feels like so crazy. (laughs) And I always felt like there would be a potential for the return of Ewan McGregor, but I never saw a way for them to do Hayden just because of the way that they did the Clone Wars as an animated show. I just sort of wrote it off. I don't know about you, but I wrote it off. And so when he came back, And when that was announced, like, I think my heart, like, skipped, like, five beats. Like, I was probably dead for, like, 
a whole minute. <laughs> and I, um, I still can't really believe it. But I, again, as a staunch defender of the prequels, I have felt like we've been leaning towards this for so long. I don't think Star Wars ever really gave up on the prequels in terms of story, given the fact that they put millions of dollars into the Clone Wars. And there were times when that show wasn't really even watched or critically acclaimed, yet George was really focused on telling his story. And I think that all of that devotion really paid off in a huge way to the point where it like the Clone Wars reinvented the way that Star Wars exists today in the fact that it could we could imagine how you could spend X amount of money on a budget on a small scale Star Wars story and how you could do it. I just think that even back then, Caitlin and I were always like, no, it's really good. Like, it's really good. <laughs> you guys don't even know. And then when when Clone Wars hit Netflix uh, and people started binging it, I think things really changed. And I, again, though, I never really thought Hayden Christensen would ever return. But um, I guess the only thing that I was like, it's possible, was in the sequel trilogy as a ghost. And we talked about this for years, and then Hayden's voice was used in The Rise of Skywalker, and I honestly think there could have been way more. And I actually think that if the sequel trilogy was being developed right now, there would be more, and we would get Hayden Christensen as a ghost. I don't know. I think that some people, I don't want to speak about who's working on the show, I don't, or the movies or anything like that. I don't really know anyone's own personal feelings, but... I, because I don't know these people in real life, but I do feel like there is a hesitancy always in terms of like people who work in Hollywood, maybe not people who work at Lucasfilm, about accepting in the prequels. Is this going to make money? People hate this. Like, I don't know if they're going to, they, we should include this when we're like relaunching our series, you know? And that's why things like when people talk about, how this is me ranting, I guess. How when people talk about the Force Awakens and how the first line of the Force Awakens is, uh, this will begin to make things right. It rubs. It used to rub me. It doesn't really that much anymore. Rub me the wrong way about how that was a dig at the past years of like the prequel era and how everything was a reboot. I love the reboot, <laughs> so it's hard. But um, no, it's so crazy. I don't know. Caitlin, if you have any thoughts, but it is so crazy that Hayden Christensen is back. <laughs> and I think that Ewan McGregor was always like in my head as that could be something that could happen because he literally had been asked about it for like 10 years and it just seemed like there was a story there. But I never saw a story in which Hayden Christensen was involved in a big way. Yeah, I honestly, I, I had kind of forgotten all about that line in The Force Awakens. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring it up. <laughs> it's like in our essays on Carrie uh, discussion when you brought up that quote from J.J. Abrams about like, maybe now girls will watch Star Wars. And I was uh, I was like, wow, I completely blocked that like out. You block out things that make you upset. And that is one of those ones that I can just I now just have to accept as part of the story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had forgotten about that line and how the first time I watched it, like in the theater, it was like, you just like kind of had the air sucked out of you like oh okay um all but the right. movie was so good so it's the like, movie is okay. good like <laughs> yeah. it's just if you know when the special edition of the force awakens comes out i might as if i'll be involved i you know might redub it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I really don't think I could have uh, can really add on anything more to what you were talking about with Hayden. 
Um, only to say that, yeah, Ewan always seemed like the most likely to return in a thing because he was a part of the Force Awakens, was interviewed about it, and honestly, also, he's alive. That, like, he's he was alive. <laughs> like his character was alive. <laughs> <laughs> I know I just said that like willy-nilly like out of the blue but his character was alive okay alive. that's what I'm trying to say he's alive. I was like compared to Alec Guinness yes he's yes. alive <laughs> um <laughs> anyway he was asked about it I feel like Hollywood that you know horrible algorithm of YouTube like if there's anyone from the prequels that they quote-unquote liked it was Ewan McGregor it was Obi-Wan um but to have Hayden be as involved as he was is just, it's incredible. I mean, we literally got everything <laughs> we could have ever wanted mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. this series, including a freaking forest ghost, a hallucination of Hayden Christensen, Re- Circuit Revenge of the Sith, suitless Vader. <laughs> right. just- it's crazy. <laughs> it's insane. And like an Attack of the Clones flashback. Oh my god, the slashed helmet, it's just it's it's incredible and I I don't think I'll ever get over it. And uh yeah, just to like I guess kind of continue like the stray thought about the Clone Wars and like everything that was done with Anakin's character, then I think I'd always wondered, especially after um like Hayden's first return to celebration when he was it was so clear that everyone was, you know, beside themselves that he came back. Um, I always I had kind of wondered if we would see him as a voice in something like even with like the season seven of the Clone Wars, it I totally could have seen a situation where Ahsoka runs into a character that is not Anakin, but is voiced by Hayden Christensen. Um, and like it would have been this kind of like little tongue in cheek thing that everyone knows that that's Hayden Christensen, a.k.a. Anakin, but it's not. But it's Ahsoka. You know what I mean? Um, but to have him back in this capacity, I think it's just it's incredible. And um yeah, and thinking about like that finale episode of of Obi-Wan Kenobi and you had said earlier Charlotte that the Clone Wars kind of what did you say uh informs how Star Wars is made today. I yeah. think something like that. I mean, that whole last season episode of of Kenobi is pulled from is based off of an episode of Rebels that was based on a character introduced in the Clone Wars that existed from George's mind uh, because he was insistent that Anakin had a Padawan who was this young girl. And now we've come full circle and it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy to think honestly, because people love to kind of put down the cartoons and uh, yeah, you know, we, we haven't said it in a while, but on our show, we say look to the animation department for the future of star Wars. And this, this was as big as it gets. I think (laughs) in that vein (laughs) yeah it's so crazy I it's the craziest thing and I just want to comment on um your last line about how Ewan has talked about how there was no social media at the time so Hayden and him both believed that the movies weren't liked and there were no fans it makes me so sad like that concept makes me so sad I I know because I lived it how loud the anti-prequel thing was it was always a constant fight and it's so weird at this point right now to not be in that constant fight like it's hard for me to kind of like put down 
my armor, I guess, sometimes when I'm in a conversation with someone or like even at celebration. I mean, Caitlin and I's first celebration was in 2010. And even then it was like, do you like the prequels? Like, do you like the Clone Wars? Like, what's the vibe? <laughs> and yeah. it, it, you never know what you're going to get. And you just don't really see that anymore. It's just not it's, cool to like to dislike the prequels. <laughs> well, it's this huge thing. It's it's the, the cycle of time, right? Um, retrospect and and nostalgia and everything like that. But also that these were all always good movies. And and then like you're told so much by by media. And at the time, the people who were the loudest were like actual critics and reviewers. Like there wasn't mm-hmm. this opportunity for people like us to be like, well, actually, I really, I really had a great time. I really enjoyed it. Um, I was thinking, I don't think I've shared this on the podcast before, but um, not that it's like a, a story, but like a couple weeks ago, uh, months ago, I guess at this point, um, my brother-in-law told me like randomly at dinner one night when I was over at their house, he was like, you know what? Uh, I'm like ready to say that I actually really did always like the prequels. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's that's so great because same. <laughs> and he's kind of like a casual Star Wars fan. He like watches when he can. Like he's he hasn't watched all of the Clone Wars or Rebels, but like he's seen the big um, episodes and arcs and stuff from a lot of the seasons, not just like season seven or something like that. Um, he also has five kids, so like he's busy. But um, yeah, I was like, yeah, you know, like they've always been great. And he said something to the effect of, yeah, you know, it just always felt like I was told not to like them. And so I didn't. And it's like, yeah, you you were. Like, everyone was. And the truth is that they're good movies and it's a good story. And now we can all see that and appreciate that and get excited. And this was like pre before Obi-Wan Kenobi came out. So it's like now we can all be excited about this time. And I don't know. We've, we've definitely gone off on a tangent here from the original question. But I think it's you can just tell that Hayden has had such a good time on this press tour. And I I really hope that he has. And I hope that he's just really believed all of the good things people have told him about his portrayal of Anakin because it's all true Mm -hmm. and it's all great. And he deserves that. And thinking about how so many actors from Star Wars have been so maligned, to put it gently, by the fandom for characters mm-hmm. they don't like. Um, it's great to see the flip side of that for Hayden now because he was one of those people that s- suffered so much because of the fandom, honestly. And there are so many other actors who who have as well who are currently suffering mm-hmm. um, because of the fandom simply not liking a character. And so I hope that – I'm so glad that Hayden at least has been able to experience that there are – more of us than there are of them mm-hmm. uh, to bring a, a Rise of Skywalker line mm-hmm. into it. Mm-hmm. And I can only hope that other actors from the Star Wars franchise that have been in that boat or are in that boat right now um, get it sooner than Hayden did. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think it's something that as people, we should always be wary of like as we consume and discuss things. I mean, I just think that I we're witnessing – the rejection of the sequel trilogy happen like beneath our feet right now it's happening in 10 years it'll be beloved and when it was coming out it was beloved which is why it's so it's a different kind of beast I think um than the prequels because I don't actually think that was the case when the prequels were coming out is there were more people making fun of it than um 
praising it. And I think that actually it was opposite of with the sequel trilogy and just a totally different beast with something like The Last Jedi and a totally different beast for The Rise of Skywalker as well. I think that um, there's just a lot to analyze there. And I just, um, I don't know, it just makes me worried and stressed about that entire (laughs) ecosystem, I think. And I just want to do as much as I possibly can to make sure that I don't know that things are talked about fairly and with love because we're here, I don't know, talking about Star Wars for hours on end. I think I looked it up the other day because there was a new podcast platform. Caleb and I have been talking about Star Wars on our show for over 350 hours, which is so crazy. (laughs) So I just want to make sure that those 350 hours are um, plus are uh, (laughs) as like praising and supporting the things we love. Um, more than anything else. So when it comes to Hayden Christensen, Hayden Christensen is an actor in which I love and I am so glad he is getting (laughs) the praise he deserves (laughs) because his performance as Anakin Skywalker is one of the best in the saga and we are so blessed to have him back in Obi-Wan Kenobi and hopefully in more Star Wars projects in the future because we will support him. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of before we leave this like discussion of critiquing because I think that is one that you and I are talking a lot about all the time, kind of offline and online and, you know, about Hayden Christensen and and his whole experience and and other people too um, in the Star Wars universe. It's, there's so many, and I, I of course, like I'm thinking about the rise of Skywalker because that's the film that I had was the hardest for, for me, for us. It just is not our favorite and finding a way to talk about that constructively while also recognizing that there are so many hundreds of thousands of people that worked on that movie who put their heart and soul, mm-hmm. their blood, sweat, and tears into it. And I would never want my critique or my just opinion of it's not for me to diminish the value of their work, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't my favorite. You know what I mean? And that was something really challenging with The Rise of Skywalker. And I think that um, in some ways we succeeded at that. And, and in others, we kind of gave in to those wow, I really didn't like this movie. It wasn't for me feelings. And I I think that's okay to a certain extent. But like now there, like there are so many people that I admire whose, whose work I admire in that movie. And I, that's something we always, you and I on Sky Talkers always try to take into our critiques for the things that we don't enjoy throughout Star Wars, because right, it's media. It's meant to be consumed. It's meant to be analyzed. Sometimes that analysis goes one way. Sometimes it goes the other, but it doesn't have to be a reflection on the people themselves who created it. We can just look at the story itself and whether a story choice worked for us or if it didn't. Mm -hmm. And I say that, and even though we had this like very lengthy conversation earlier in this episode about um, the writer talking about killing off uh, Riva and how we were like, whoa, no, (laughs) it's upsetting to hear a writer say that. We said that like an hour ago, right? Mm -hmm. And it is, but I'm like, I'm not going to think less of that person as a person. I don't know. I might not want to watch all of their films in the future if that's the direction this story had gone. You know what I mean? But I don't ever want it to cross a line of, again, like a, a moral reading or a, a justification for hatred or intense critique to the point where that some people in Star Wars have experienced. Like, it's not thinking about Moses. 
It's not yeah, most yeah, exactly, exactly. Like Moses Ingram herself, thinking about Ahmed mm-hmm. Best, Jake Lloyd, Hayden Christensen, Natalie Portman, Kelly Marie Tran. All of these people have experienced intense hatred in the form of racism, in the form of sexism, in the form of just hating a character. Anyway, so that's my soapbox. I had to get on it for a minute, and I hope that we never cross that line. And if we do, please feel free to to tell us. Like I, <laughs> I don't want to be that person. I want to. I want our show to critique fairly and analytically and always come from a place like you said Charlotte of really loving this series and so wanting it to be the best that it can and that's not always going to work for us but it does more oftentimes than not so like I'm happy to be here and uh, again I'm just soapbox straight from the plot but very happy for Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor but especially Hayden to have this moment in the sun, honestly. Okay. Shifting gears, we have a question from Kyla who asks, what is your favorite moment between Obi-Wan and Leia? This is so hard. I know. (laughs) Maybe in the second episode, uh, I can't think of the name of the planet now, the Attack of the Clones episode, but their whole banter of going through the market and shopping for clothes and when she pulls on the gloves and he's like, you don't need those. And then she just continues to put them on and he says to the to the guy, like, all right, and the gloves too. And <laughs> and you know, saying he's her daughter and she's this maybe grandfather. I just I think it was so cute. Like you could really see Leia kind of working her charm on Obi-Wan. And I, I love their banter. Of course, I think they're like they're emotional moments, especially uh in episode three, were incredible and so yeah, very emotional. But I, I gotta say I really love their quippiness between them. My favorite is the handhold. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's my that's favorite. <laughs> I also really like the moment on the truck. I think the conversations that's happening yeah. on the truck in episode three are really, really good. Yeah. They're really important conversations, yeah. too, honestly. Um, I will also say maybe, maybe one of my favorite moments that's kind of I would call like very underrated or maybe not even a real moment is when Obi-Wan realizes that Leia gave him Lola. Mm-hmm. I just think it's so sweet. One that Obi-Wan told Leia that he was scared and he sees Leia using Lola to like uh, help the other kids on the ship. And he tells her that he's a little scared. And so she sends Lola, who's like the most precious thing to Leia with Obi-Wan. I just think it's so sweet. Oh, so sweet. All right, next we have some questions from our patrons. Uh, This one is from BB Nates, who says, In the finale of Kenobi, Vader tells Obi-Wan that he killed Anakin, essentially freeing Obi-Wan from his guilt. If this is the case and Obi-Wan no longer feels a sense of remorse or compassion for Vader, why does he not destroy Vader there and then and furthermore bestows the duty onto Vader's own son? This is the million-dollar question. (laughs) (laughs) My interpretation of this scene has changed a lot and I wouldn't even say it's fully formed at this point because when I was watching the episode I I was surprised that Obi-Wan just kind of walked away and said uh goodbye Darth and just kind of leaves it at that I think I was really surprised at that I don't know if Obi-Wan himself has completely absolved himself from responsibility of Obi-Wan of Vader at that point um maybe he has by the time he meets up with Luke in the future in A New Hope, but I think he'll always kind of carry that guilt and, and burden, but just he, he's found a way to let it go. And I think perhaps that's what was happening 
in that final moment when he does choose to walk away from Vader. I don't think we have a name of that planet yet, or I just don't know it, but it's that kind of release. And I can't say I clearly know the answer of why Obi-Wan chose not to continue fighting Vader. I know prior to that episode, I had had this theory that Anakin would ask Obi-Wan to kill him and Obi-Wan couldn't do it. He couldn't bring himself to do it again, to do it at all. And I kind of think that some of that is at play in this moment between them in the finale. But I think that's still something that could be further explored, I think, about Obi-Wan's character and and why exactly he tells Luke the things he does. I think what you're hinting at is that Obi-Wan feels a major sense of pity towards Anakin mm-hmm. the moment he takes off that mask or that mask reveals and switches between Anakin and Vader, Anakin and Vader you know, with the red and blue light and you get this shocking feeling of seeing what's beneath the mask. Number one, I think that Obi-Wan needed to see what was beneath the mask and that was a huge step for him. But my, I don't think Obi-Wan could ever kill Vader. And I think that that was always going to be the outcome of the show, obviously, because he's not dead in A New Hope. But uh, I, so my interpretation of it is when Anakin says you didn't kill Anakin, I did. I don't think that, I think that perhaps frees Obi-Wan from like a sense of guilt, but not all of the guilt because it is, it does Obi-Wan really take his word for that? Because I don't think so. I think that Obi-Wan knows how involved he was in his friendship with, um, with what happened with Anakin. Um, and like you can't really deny that, but I do think there was a step for Obi-Wan to see his face underneath the mask and also recognize that he can't kill him. I do think that it is a lot to consider how this show didn't necessarily answer why he needed Luke to kill Vader. Um, and I, I guess it just answers that like Obi-Wan could never do it himself, but it's less about like his age, I guess, is an interesting point of that and more about maybe Luke just doesn't have that sense of history, which is a, it's just a different sense of history, right? That, that Obi-Wan has with Anakin. I, it, it is the million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we talked about at the beginning of the show before it came out, that this show doesn't necessarily need to do that. It doesn't need yeah. to answer that question necessarily. I think the, the right. If we're going to talk about like the point of the show, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. The point of the show is Obi-Wan turning a new leaf. It's his character development. And from where he starts the series as cowering, hiding, not using the force, afraid to even think about Anakin, having nightmares about him of, of the past, to fully confronting Vader and Anakin together in the very end. Um, making the choice to, like we see him, to uh, use himself as the bait multiple times and and when it counts in the finale, putting himself at at risk, quote-unquote, to go onto that planet to lure Vader away, to have this confrontation with him, to tell him that he's sorry, all of it. Like, that is Obi-Wan's journey. There's, like, this his character development. There's this other piece of it that is yet to come, I suppose, with how we get to Obi-Wan in A New Hope. And maybe we'll never kind of get this full 
explanation from Obi-Wan of some internal monologue of him being like, and this is when I decided that I needed to have Luke kill Vader. You know, I don't I don't know if it would ever be that straightforward. So I think in a certain light, they are kind of trying to keep it muddled isn't the right word, but up for interpretation, I suppose, is a better way to describe it. And I, I kind of think that's a, the right choice right now, honestly, because there's still another decade of Obi-Wan before we get to A New Hope. And again, this this is just one slice of Obi-Wan's life. It's a very important slice of his life, but it doesn't have to answer every question. And it would feel like it was doing too much if it did. Okay, so the next question is from Anders, who asks, Am I the only one concerned Lucasfilm is falling into their own traps by continuing to tread the Skywalker stuff after saying they would explore new ground post-Tross? Luke and Mando, Vader and Obi-Wan. Do you think they'll ever escape the Skywalkers in on-screen media, or will we all, will they always be a major presence? Can they succeed without the Skywalkers? This is also a really good question, and I think that I think yes, they can succeed without the Skywalkers, and we've seen this, right? We have Rebels, Bad Batch, Resistance, Cassian, Rogue One. I mean, obviously, we don't know if Cassian is or Andor is successful yet, but we have Rogue One. Everyone will say that Solo is not successful. It's a successful movie, um, even though I guess you could say that's tied to the Skywalkers, but that story itself isn't. Uh, as well as uh, The Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett. Um, All of those are not tied to the Skywalkers, and I think they are successful. I think it's an interesting question, though, because they did say they were exploring new ground, and yet we're coming back to this important story between Obi-Wan and Vader. But it's kind of like, if not now, when? That's kind of my question, I think. Like, I think think you're so right, Anders, like, They said they were going to move on from Skywalker stories. We've had some new stories, but like, you know, why isn't everything like the Acolyte, for example, just totally taking place way far before Vader is even born or way after the rise of Skywalker ends? Like, what about those types of stories? And I'm so excited for those. But if you have Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen right now, (laughs) (laughs) maybe we should take the opportunity and do it. (laughs) It's This is always a hard question for me because... I love the Skywalkers (laughs) and I don't think, I think that yes, everything Caitlin said is true. They can't succeed without the Skywalkers, but I feel like sometimes I'm in a little bit of a minority in like at least our fandom circle of always enjoying when there's a Skywalker occurrence (laughs) in any of these stories Um because they're my favorites and I don't really want to say goodbye and I want to continue on with their stories when it makes sense. And so far, I think it has made sense. I always think back to one of my closest friend's husbands asked me in 2016 before Rogue One, and I'll just like never forget this. And it's not even that big of a question. It's just the first time anyone's asked me this. And when I was like, Rogue One's coming out, it's and I explained the uh, the timeline and how it's going to be really good, the actors that are in it and everything. And he was like, you know, there's all these Star Wars movies coming out and it's so exciting, but do you think we'll ever reach saturation? And I was like, no, never. <laughs> I was like, but maybe, I don't know. Sometimes I'm a little saturated by Marvel movies and things like that. And I think we're almost at the point with full saturation of too many Skywalker stories. And I think we need to take like a two year break. But to Caitlin's point about if not now, when 
Like, why not just do it now? I'm also there. I don't know. I think that Star Wars started from a Skywalker story, so we'll always be returning back to it. And I don't think we'll ever fully move on. And I'm okay with that, personally. But I know a lot of people aren't because sometimes it just feels like we're retreading the same ground. I don't I don't agree with that, but I think that sometimes the return to the well can sometimes feel like simply a return versus pushing forward. I mean, I'm all for uh, episode 10, 11, 12, and I have been for a while. Something that's so interesting, I think, about the sequel trilogy is that I actually do think that they relied pretty heavily on the quote-unquote legacy characters and I wonder what the story would have been like if they didn't even though I'm glad they did because they needed to <laughs> they, they I feel like in terms of the Skywalker saga like they needed to reference Han Luke and Leia if they didn't it might be weird but at the same time it's you can argue and I certainly have that it detracted from the new characters that were so rich and cool and different and fun and I think that when we go back to those same characters that I just named like a hundred times, or sometimes it could feel like a hundred times, even though it really isn't, and not pushing forward with those awesome new characters that have their own fandom and the couple that is the top archive of our own fan fiction comparing. It's weird to me that we're not moving forward with those. But and like for me, I'm like, you're leaving money on the table. But at the same time, the money is also with the Skywalker stuff too. So it's a really hard question. And I think that there's always going to be a little bit of a push and pull. I think that this question will be interesting to answer in a, in a year because of the new stuff that is going to come out. Like I, I think that we've moved past the Luke story of it all in The Mandalorian. And I think we've, we're moving into new ground, at least what we saw in the trailer. And if The Mandalorian is like their top property in terms of, well, I don't know anymore because of Obi-Wan, but you know, their moneymaker, the Grogu of it all. I do think that we're moving into territory that is not Skywalker based and it'll be interesting to explore that. But um, this is my long winded way of saying, I don't know. Um, I think I haven't reached saturation there, but I know so many people do. And I, I do think that they're they could uh, it's weird that they said that they would move beyond the rise of Skywalker and we like in terms of a timeline and we haven't. Like, that's weird that we're still there, but a whole pandemic hit too. So also, I just want to say, it's also easy to forget how long project production times are. A show like Obi-Wan Kenobi has been talked about and on the table for like 10 years. <laughs> and now we're, we're just finally seeing it. And yeah, it feels like we're retreading a story that we told years ago or going to characters that were feel like they're from the past because in a way they are. But sometimes like when it all comes out at the same time, it can feel like a lot. I don't know. That's something always that I think about because, okay, just, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being a little um, rambly here, but the Luke Skywalker inclusion in the Mandalorian and people being like, I'm so sick of Luke is so interesting to me because I think we went for like a long time without getting a lot of like quote unquote new Luke content. And then it suddenly felt like a barrage of a ton of Luke stuff. And I think that's interesting, like from the Rise of Skywalker and then the Mandalorian. And I know that there's other things that I'm thinking about that I'm forgetting right now, but 
it, it felt like a lot and a lot of focus on Luke when it didn't actually feel like that, at least personally for me in fandom for years. It felt like we were actually focusing a lot on Han Solo <laughs> and not the protagonist of Star Wars. It's always so interesting. It was really interesting to me. Everyone was like so into talking about Han and really not interested in talking about Luke Skywalker. And then all of a sudden, it was a lot of conversation post The Last Jedi and focus on Luke as a character and like what it means to be Luke being the top Luke Skywalker fan and everything like that. And I think that we reached a little bit of a level of exhaustion as a fandom around that conversation. So I think that when, it, when you start from like perhaps that uh, talking point and then when you think about what they're doing now uh, and returning constantly to the Skywalker stories – it can feel like a lot. And I, I want I want them to move beyond. And again, I think we should revisit this question in a year. And I'm sorry for how long I just talked about that in on an all over the place kind of buffet of different answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think it's interesting to kind of wrap it up like you bringing up that like everyone was talking about Han for so long because it did feel like that because right like 2015 was was the Han movie the Force Awakens it was a Han solo movie in a lot of ways they're heavily centered around him obviously with everything that happens with Kylo and it was great but then after that we get The Last Jedi and then we get Solo coming out very shortly after that and with the release of Solo we had all of the tie-in material with Solo that was all Han focused I remember it was like you know a couple books there are comics like there's so much coming out that's so focused on Han Solo. It was like everywhere I felt like I turned, it was Han Solo content. But even before then too, for like 20 years, it was like yeah. no one really talked about Luke Skywalker. It was yeah, like no everyone one, no was, wants Luke. to talk about Han. Yeah. And then yeah, – because everyone wants to be Han. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But then it's like when you put everything like in – a lineup, right? Like a, of an actual timeline. And I guess if you were to like really start to tally like the minutes on screen, I guess you could say of a character like Luke, of a character like Leia, of a character like Ahsoka. A lot of people feel that way about Ahsoka now of a character like the Mandalorian or Anakin. I think it'd be really interesting to see how it all kind of actually shakes out in the end. But I, I agree with you on basically everything you said. And yeah, Luke is my favorite character and there's so much to him that I really want to know more about, especially given that I didn't agree with where some of his storylines went um, as he got older. But yeah, I'm excited to let his story rest for a while and then further in the future, perhaps pick it up again and learn something more about who he was either immediately after Return of the Jedi or even more about his time on Octo or, or maybe even him in the Cosmic Force. Um, you and I are always – one day we're going to get a Cosmic for, for a series, the whole series, just about ghosts. It's going to be great. It's going to be so good. <laughs> it's going to be so good. <laughs> I'm really excited. All right. Our next question is from Natalie who asks, what do you think the Grand Inquisitor was up to while everyone thought he was dead? <laughs> Hiding out in Vader's spare room, coming up with ideas for when to reveal himself with max possible smugness. I think him and Vader were uh, talking about when they could possibly make the coolest, most smug entrance possible. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they rehearsed it on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They had like a couple different scenarios based on 
what could or could not happen with Reva and Obi-Wan and everything like this. So it was a little bit of improv, but a lot of rehearsal too. Definitely. <laughs> I think he I think he had to take some time to get uh like awake to be healed, I guess. And then I think, yeah, I think he's just been hiding out in the back room. Or better yet, you know, he's just been behind Vader's cape this whole time, just like Leia was with Obi-Wan. <laughs> we just didn't notice. <laughs> okay, so our next question is from James who asks in Kenobi episode six, prior to his duel with Vader, Obi-Wan says, I will do what I must, repeating himself from Rots, repeating himself from Revenge of the Sith. What do y'all think that this means as far as Obi-Wan's growth since then and his mindset there? I think this is a really interesting question because I think I will do what I must in Revenge of the Sith was he was supposed to kill Vader. But personally, my interpretation, and maybe we have already discussed this a little bit, but just to kind of push it even further, the I will do what I must in Obi-Wan episode six is a little different because what we understand it to be is for Obi-Wan to like crack open Vader's mask, see what's within to confront that face to face and form in his own opinion and also apologize to, to Anakin. Um, I think that it was a little bit more personal for Obi-Wan, actually fully personal, when I think that when he said that in Revenge of the Sith, it was an order from Yoda and not necessarily something that, that bore like a lot of emotional weight. Yeah, I agree. And um, I also have to apologize uh, if you can hear the thunderstorm raging outside my window right now. Um, the skies just opened up. Charlotte told me she could hear it on her end. So <laughs> I apologize uh, if you can hear the rain. Um, but yeah, I think this is a really interesting question. And Charlotte and I were kind of, when we got to this one, we were like, did we already talk about this? But this is kind of a different line um, and kind of a different perspective on this whole scene. And I think that you were right on, Charlotte, when you said, I will do what I must when Revenge of the Sith is about killing Anakin, something he couldn't bring himself to do. Whereas Similar to what we were talking about before, it's almost like I will do what I must is now Obi-Wan has to let it go. He has to move on. That's what he actually has to do. That's what he must yes. do yes. is move on um, and embrace the thing that saved him when he was being buried alive, which is hope for the future, Luke and Leia, and the path in general that will then become the rebellion. So I think, I think that's kind of the interpretation I'm currently taking out of our conversation today. Me too. And I, I, something that I really like about the show and something we've touched on in this episode specifically is I feel like my interpretation of the show and different lines and things might change in the future. And I really like that. I love when a show can do that. And I love when Star Wars specifically can do that. So I'm excited for <laughs> things, my opinions on things to change. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right, so we have our last question from Alex today, which is, having just gone to Celebration in Anaheim, what do you think they will cover in London? This is so exciting because what Caitlin and I did today was purchase our four-day tickets to Celebration Europe in London. Woo! We're so excited. Caitlin and I are really pumped to go to an international celebration. It will be our first international celebration, and I, we posted about it today on social media and I am thrilled that we have so many UK and European listeners. And I can't wait to meet you all. It's going to be so great. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm so, so, so excited. Um, 
yeah, I can't believe we got through the queue. We did it. We got the tickets. I know. It was it's, cutthroat. It was, cutthroat. It, was, it, was, it was blood was shed. Um, but yeah. I'm if you're really- a longtime listener also, you know that I have like the worst luck with lotteries, with like all of the online stuff. And usually Caitlin does it. I got in before like all of our friends. It's so crazy. I can't wild. even believe I did that. Yeah. It was wild. We we went into the, the queue at the same time and I was still at – my cue said your wait time is more than an hour and suddenly charlotte's was at like 26 minutes i was like yeah, whoa was wait like- a second <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and i know it's particularly random when you like click into it so feel really lucky that we had limited stress when we purchased them so we're very very excited and obviously because we've gotten some questions i will answer that we don't have anything specific planned for celebration just yet maybe they're redoing the podcast stage in a different way this time and it's sort of a multimedia stage so we don't know if we'll be able to do that but we'll certainly if we if we don't do this quasi podcast stage thing we'll definitely do a meetup so stay tuned for information about that but okay so since we obviously just got back from Anaheim it's literally still feels like yesterday that we just got back from Anaheim what do we think they'll cover in London it occurred to me today actually that Next year is the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi, which is really exciting. I Woo! I know because I think we have um, – the celebrations that we had been to, like with the 2021 was supposed to celebrate Empire Strikes Back, 48 years of Empire Strikes Back. 2017 was 40 years of Star Wars, which is great. That was awesome. The first celebration we went to was 30 years of Empire Strikes Back, so – been celebrating Empire for a long time and like those first two movies. So I, Caitlin and I are uh, big fans of Return of the Jedi. So I am excited for that. Should be fun. So yeah, that occurred to me today. So I hope that the key art is something to do with Return of the Jedi or something new, whatever. I was trying to think about like what big projects are coming up. And I'm sure that this will be around the time of I don't know, Acolyte filming, we'll get more Andor information, the Ahsoka show will be coming out. There's just going to be a lot of new stuff, maybe a new animation project. And it's weird because I think that Celebration Europe feels quite close in terms of like, because we were, last Celebration was pushed off for so many years and it just felt like a really big gap between the others. But I do think that while it does feel so close, I do think that we'll have so many like new things by that time that we're going to be in a totally different era of Star Wars, a totally different year. So it's going to be exciting. Cannot wait. Can't wait. Yeah, I'm super excited. It's going to be so fun. I'm hoping we'll get a lot of information on the Acolyte. Yes. That's kind of what I'm super excited for. Also, um, Visions. Visions. Oh. Season two. Yeah. Yeah. I just, Indiana Jones just occurred to me though, yeah. because that'll com- be coming out in the summer of 2023. So, yeah. So that will be, I'm sure they'll do something. I, I bet they'll do, I bet they're going to make like the Lucasfilm showcase a thing now. Yeah. Like that's what they'll call it. Totally. I, I'm really excited to go to a celebration in London because I know that they're doing like Andor filmed in London. Um, some of the other shows upcoming are filming in London. Star Wars was filmed in London or England. And I I just think that there's going to be like a different vibe. And I'm really excited for that. Maybe we'll get some information about the movies too, like the upcoming movies. I know recently like in the news in the past couple of days, Taika Waititi talks about how he's still writing with 
uh, Kirsty Wilson Carnes for his movie. I hope that she's still attached to the project. I really hope so. So it was interesting that they're still writing and that the 2023 winter date like isn't necessarily locked in. So that was intriguing. So we'll get some information about that, I'm sure. Hopefully we'll see you all. Who's ever going in London? Maybe we'll do like a pub meetup. I don't know. I'm so pumped. <laughs> I uh, I just had a thought too okay. about maybe because Andor was filming in London, they'll have the Andor experience, <gasps> and we'll be able to go to that at least. Well, maybe they <laughs> can just the make a super mega experience and bring over the stuff in Mandalorian because we did not see that, and I am going to regret it for the rest of my life. I don't, I don't think they're going to bring it. I think that was one and done because it was so close <laughs> to LA. Like I, they're not going to ship that. They're not going to ship Cad Bane's the pieces of Cad Bane's face, exploded head, all the way to London. Nor are they going to ship the Bantha. <laughs> London. I, Although maybe maybe Cassian has his own Bantha. I will regret. I will. I I know. But I just have to say it on the show for the record that I will regret this for the rest of my life. And every time <laughs> it comes up, I am going to. We we could not possibly make it work. And we, we did. A, we did enough amazing things at Celebration this year that it's okay. It's fine. It's just sad. So yes, I love this idea, Caitlin, that they'll have the Andor experience mm-hmm. because yeah, that's we, what I'm we need out it. For. We need it. Yeah, that's what I'm super excited because by that point we'll have Andor season one will be over. So there'll be, I'm sure there'll be some preview or something for Andor season two. So that will be exciting. And we'll have whatever's coming with animation too. Perhaps a Bad Batch season three, perhaps something brand new. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be so fun. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's going to be great. I used to live in London, long-time listeners know this, in high school with my family. And Caitlin would visit over winter break both years that I lived there. So we've actually like spent some time in London together. And I'm excited to like do that again. It's going to be so fun. <laughs> and we're going to do a lot of cool things, go to museums and eat a lot of good food. I can't wait. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be really great. People are going to be so sick of us online because it's going to be a lot of (laughs) we were here 10 years well god when was 2016 years ago it's so crazy 2006 2007 was the first year Uh Uh all right well i'm not going to talk about that anymore (laughs) (laughs) so anyway we'll be there And uh, if you weren't able to get tickets today, I know how disappointing that can be, but things are always moving and shifting and there is still plenty of time. People are often selling their tickets um, throughout the next couple months. So please don't feel like this is the end all be all if you didn't get tickets. Almost always if there's a will, there's a way and someone will be selling a ticket somewhere so just keep your eyes and ears open peeled online mm-hmm. and i'm sure star wars celebration will actually announce their like official what is it through light yes. um they're like official ticket transfer partners that they use that other people have used in the past so i'm sure something similar it might be something different this year i don't know if they're able to use that in the uk i really don't know but they've always had something like that in the past so like I said, if you weren't able to get tickets today, I know how frustrating that can be, but don't give up hope. Totally. All right. Well, is there anything else we want to talk about with Obi-Wan Kenobi before we sign off? 
I don't think so. I mean, what a show. Thank you so much for submitting all of your questions. And I'm sorry that we couldn't get to everyone's. We're almost at two hours of recording time. So uh, we really, really appreciate you sending them in. We, I just have to say, we really love hearing from you all, from our email, from reviews. It really keeps us going. And there are times that it takes us sometimes uh, weeks and months to return the emails that you send us. And I feel really bad about it. But just know when we get your email, it makes our whole day. And uh, so thank you so much for letting us know your thoughts on Star Wars and the show and everything. We always, always appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. I completely echo what Charlotte said. And if you are interested in ways to contact us, uh, you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. If you do want to email us your thoughts about Obi-Wan Kenobi or anything else Star Wars related, you can email us SkytalkersPodcast at gmail.com. We also have our website, skytalkers.com, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. You can find us on all of those places. And like Charlotte said, if you have left us a review recently, thank you so, so much, either on iTunes or Spotify. We really do appreciate it. And um, yeah, it just means a lot to us that you would take some time out of your day to let others know what you think of the show. So thank you so much for your kind words over there. We do like reread those reviews. often um, especially when we're lacking inspiration or have just like had a long day so (laughs) thank you so much Um, your words really do mean a lot to us and if you haven't left us a review and want to take a couple of seconds to do that we would definitely not say no to that so (laughs) thank you in advance if you do and if you're interested in other ways to support our show you can head on over to our patreon check out our different reward tiers and find out how to get involved in our amazing wonderful active discord community and i want to say a huge thank you to these patrons james nick christina rachel jessica emma kara ali bb nate anders natalie john daniel james andrew and alex thank you so much for supporting us yes thank you guys so much and as always until next time may the force be with you may the force be with you 